Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Wow, thank you, thank you, thank you. It is an honor and a privilege to be with you tonight. I love this place. I text my son, and, and he's back in Texas. He said, where are you tonight? And I said, I'm in Cambridge with Phil and all the wonderful folks at King's. And he said, oh, man, I wish I was there too. And so my wife is on this trip with me. She sends her apologies tonight. She's preaching, uh, doing a women's conference in Birmingham uh, for Battelle on Saturday morning and then preaching at a different, we're preaching at two different churches on Sunday morning. And so we've been going nonstop. And she said, I've got to study. My wife's a teacher, not a preacher. So she studies for like 200 hours before she teaches. And I scribble notes on a piece of paper. Um, so she sends her apologies. Uh, and she said, give somebody my seat because I'll, I'll stay and pray. So she's at the hotel praying. Uh, but she sends her greetings to you tonight. And then we have two of our spiritual daughters that just arrived today. Chris and I have been here a couple of uh, days, but uh, Rachel and Bailey are here. And then we've got another team of folks coming in Sunday night. And we're all going to Israel together on Monday. So we've got uh, uh, quite a week ahead of us. But I believe that God has something special for you tonight. Come on now. I told these young ladies that in Cambridge, they're not typically English. I said, I said, they're not as reserved. I said, one, we'll have about 20 nations represented here tonight because you got all ages, all races, and all kinds in this place. And I love it. It makes me feel at home. But, but now, if you are typically English, I'm going to appeal to your English nature. Because I know that you would, you would rather do anything than embarrass me. Because the English are so hospitable. You're the nicest people in the world. So I'm going to ask you to not embarrass me by talking. If you'll talk back to me when I preach, then that makes me feel at home. All right? So will you do that? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. We're going to have fun tonight. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you're already here. I said you're already here. And so we ask you, though, to have free reign. To do whatever you want to do tonight. Put me on like a coat and wear me, Jesus. Say exactly what you want said. I'm not the preacher. I'm not the prophet. You're all those things and more. And so I ask you to speak to me. Give me entrance into the hearts of men and women tonight. And let none of us walk out of these doors the same way we came in. But let us be changed and transformed by your word and by your spirit. And if you agree, say yes. yes. I, I, I knew I, this was going to be a great trip. When I landed, at, my wife and I landed at Heathrow, we were going through baggage claim, and somebody walks up to me and says, Dwayne White. And I said, last time I checked, yes. And, and he said, I heard you 
preach years ago, and, and he began to talk to me about things that God had done in his life. And he said, I'm coming to, I forget which night it was, but he said, I'm coming to hear you this week. And I said, praise the Lord. And he said, good to see you. So I, I get, I, my wife goes to collect our luggage, and I go to the toilet, and I'm going to brush my teeth. And, you know, I've been on a long eight-hour flight, and so I'm brushing my teeth and splashing water on my face. Another guy walks up to me, Dwayne White. I said, yes, last time I checked. And he said, um, I saw you at one event, Grapevine, years ago. And he said, I'm coming to, to uh, Peterborough to hear you on, on Wednesday night. And I said, that's amazing. And then he starts prophesying to me while I'm brushing my teeth. <laughs> I've never had that happen in a men's room. In an airport. And so, you know, there's people gathering around and he's prophesying. I'm trying to <laughs> praise the Lord. And, and he said, he said, you're going to see people and God is going to do some specific healings and miracles during meetings. And last night we had a person healed of lupus. We had somebody healed of fibromyalgia. We had <laughs> healings began to break out last night in Peterborough. At, at Kingsgate. And so who knows what's going to happen in Cambridge tonight. I believe I've come carrying a word from God. And I be believe tonight that there is a barrier breaking anointing in this place. And, and the God who made limitations created those limitations so that he could break those limitations and blow people's minds and then he gets the glory. I believe that we, we, we all, no matter whether we want to admit it or not, we're wired for breakthrough. I believe God hardwired us to, to break Barriers. There's something inside of us that, that has a desire to do it. And, and, and history is filled with barrier breakers. England is filled with barrier breakers. Historically, you always have been. Guys like Roger Bannister. Good British bloke. Who did what they said could never be done on May 6, 1954. They said that no man could run a mile in less than four minutes. That it was impossible for the human body to break the four minute mile. The previous record had been nine years standing. It was four minutes and one second. But no one believed it could be done. Or very few people believed it could be done. And on May 6th. With a strong crosswind at a place called Harrow on the Hill, Roger Bannister ran the mile in 3 minutes, 59.6 seconds. You say, if you're cynical, you say, well, that's not much less than 4 minutes. Get rid of that cynicism. He broke the barrier. And now it's still an accomplishment, but 17-year-olds have done it. High school boys can now do it. Did you know the previous record had lasted nine years? His record lasted 12 days. Why? Because once a barrier is broken, then people believe that they can do it too. But some people are always waiting for everybody else to break a barrier. But God is looking for people who will break barriers in the name of the kingdom so that those coming after them will...
Come on, are you here? People like Chuck Yeager, who, who they, they had said that a, a, a plane they didn't believe could break the sound barrier. Bullets and cannonballs were known to fly at supersonic speeds, but, but anytime someone attempted in a, in a plane, they would fail and many times crashed. Chuck Yeager had failed six times and, and five days before his seventh attempt, he was riding a horse. The horse went right, he went left. Fell off, broke his ribs. Knowing that they would not let him attempt this impossible feat a seventh time and this was probably going to be his last chance. He went to a veterinarian in the middle of the night to get his ribs taped because he knew a doctor would ground him. So the veterinarian taped his ribs. He got into the cockpit of his plane called Glamorous Glennis, named after his wife, and he couldn't even reach up to pull the top down. So he, he got a broomstick and made a hook on the end of it to pull it down because his ribs were excruciating with pain. And against all the odds, somebody say against all the odds. See, God loves it when the odds are not in his favor. God loves it when the odds are stacked against him. And against all those odds, he gets in and, and he, he, this B-52 takes him over the Mojave Desert, drops him into the air, and he begins his, his climb to Mach 1, supersonic speed. He gets to Mach 0.7 and the plane begins to shake. Mach point eight, and he pushes the throttle a little farther, and he said that, that it vi- the plane began to shake violently, his ribs reeling with pain. Sweat pouring down his face, doubts running through his mind. He gets to Mach 9, and everything within him says, you can't do it, stop, give up. But he said something overcame all the doubt, overcame all of the fear, and he pushed a little bit harder, and boom. For the first time ever across the Mojave Desert, a sonic boom was heard from an airplane. People do it on a regular basis now. They have flyovers and break the sound barrier with ease. But he was the first. And I've come to prophesy to some of you tonight that Maybe you've had a lot of opposition. Maybe your plane has been shaking. Maybe everything has been going against you. Maybe you've tried and failed six times. And right before your seventh time, you, you, you fell off your proverbial horse. <laughs> Maybe you didn't break your physical ribs, but your life has been bruised. And, and you're sitting there and everything is within you is saying, what are you going to do? All the odds are stacked against you. I've come to prophesy to you tonight. Push one more time because your breakthrough is upon you. Chuck Yeager said that when he broke the sound barrier, it was like a poke through pudding. It's like poking your finger through banoffee pie. He actually went on to say it was smooth as a baby's behind. He said, all of my opposition was on the front side of my breakthrough. And he said, but once I broke 
the barrier. It was easy. We don't have a sound barrier. We have a seen barrier. S-E-E-N. What we can see, taste, touch, feel. The natural realm. As a matter of fact, tonight, if you can imagine with me an imaginary line right here. And everything below the line where you're sitting is the natural realm. It's what we can see, feel, taste, touch, and smell. It's the seen realm. It's the temporary realm. It's the realm where facts exist. But above that line, above this imaginary line, is, is the unseen realm. It's the eternal realm. It is the place where truth exists. And can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that facts never change the truth, but the truth can change the facts. So nothing below the line changes anything above the line, but things above the line can change things below the line. Come on, somebody say, above the line, below the line, above the line, below the line. Above the line, below the line. But we tend to live looking below the line. But tonight, I'm trying to get you to pick your eyes up and look to the hills from where your help does come. Your help comes from the Lord. I'm trying to get you to stop looking at the seen and start looking at the unseen. Somebody say, above the line. So, so tonight, there's an anointing to break the seen barrier. What have you been looking at? What has been limiting you? You say, what I'm seeing above the line, I've never seen anybody do before. Good. Hallelujah. That means you're a candidate. To, can you imagine God comes to Noah and says, build an ark. What's an ark? It's a boat. What's a boat? It's a vessel that floats on water when it rains. What's rain? God had him build something he had no frame of reference for. What if God is calling you to build something in the earth that nobody has a frame of reference for, including you, but God wants to do something so great in your life, come on, that only he can get the credit. If you followed me for very many years, you, you know I love the Greek word hooper, H, or as you would say, H. Yeah, I'm, I'm bilingual. I speak English and Texan. <laughs> Texan is my first language. English is my second language. H-U-P-E-R, hooper or huper in Greek. It's where we get our English word super or hyper. It's a prefix. When you add it to anything, it takes that word beyond itself. Like when we say hyperactive, a child is hyperactive. They're beyond active. Some of you have had a hyperactive child. Phil probably was a hyperactive child. 
supermarket, right? It's not just a market. It's a supermarket. <laughs> Hooper. Somebody say Hooper. There's a lot of great Hooper scriptures. One is 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels or jars of clay. What is this treasure? The, the resurrection life of Jesus. Now, if I was going to take the resurrection life of Jesus, I wouldn't put it in a jar of clay. I wouldn't put it in a clay pot. I would put it where they hide the crown jewels in the Tower of London. Have you ever seen that vault? I have. It's big. It's several feet. The door alone. That's where I would have put the life of God. But God put his life in you. In me. In clay pots. Why? That the excellency of power might be of God and not of us. That word excellency of power in the Greek is, is hooper, bole, or where we get the English word hyperbole. What is hyperbole? Exaggeration. You say, I don't know this word. Well, if you've ever had a teenager, you know this word. Teenagers are great at hyperbole. My son used to walk into a room, and he was a little bit hungry, and he'd say, I'm starving to death. I'd say, no, you're not starving to death. I can take you to places where people are literally starving to death. You haven't eaten in three hours. You are not dying. Come on. Are you here? He'd walk into a room that's a little bit hot. It's so hot in here, I'm dying, I'm burning up, it's an inferno in here. No, hell is hot, it's just a little warm. Hyperbole. God wants to do something so great in your life that the exaggeration is so extreme that people say, He could never have done that, it must be God. Let me say it to you this way. If your neighbors can explain your life, you're doing it wrong. If your coworkers understand your life, you're living it too small. Here's another, here's another great Hooper scripture. Romans 8.37 says, Yet in all these things... All what things? The, the, uh, famine, sword, nakedness, peril, all the things he lists before there. He says, and all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. That more than conquerors in the Greek is Hooper Nikeo or Hooper Nike. It's where Nike, the tennis shoe maker, gets that Nike swoosh. That's the, that's the Greek word for Nikeo. Is the Greek word for just do it or conquer or overcome. And their thing is just conquer, just do it, just Run, just exercise, just get up off the couch, buy our shoes. <laughs> but Hooper Nikeo is more than a conqueror. So he's saying no matter how bad it gets in Christ, you are more than an overcomer. It, it's, it's, like, it's not winning. It's running the score up. It's like England in the World Cup playing Germany in the finals and you're up 15 nil and you leave the starters in and score five more points I thought English people would get more excited about that you're saying I know you're saying no that could never that's the point God wants to do something more ridiculous than that in your life somebody say Hooper 
I believe that, that God is calling us in this season to believe him for bigger things. Yeah. The beginning of every year, God gives us a prophetic word for the next year. But nine years ago, he gave us a prophetic word for the decade. And he said in, in 2010, from 2010 to 2020, I am calling you to go big. And, and everybody say, go big. And so we went for it. We, we went for it. Our church was just a baby little church plant, and we went for it. And we, our missions organization went for it. Our church went for it. Our network, we, we, in that time, we started a network of churches, and that was going big for us. And so we did everything we could do to go big. We were trusting and believing God, and some of it was amazing, and some of it was really difficult. I mean, that year, God told us in 2010 to go big. I went blind in my left eye. Had four, I've had four major surgeries, legally blind in my left eye. My daughter had to have masters. If I started telling you all the trouble that we had, it would depress you. But at the same time, God did incredible things. We stumbled into a building. We'd been mobile for eight and a half years. We bought a building a few years ago. God it just, it, we, we planted churches and we've seen all kinds of miraculous things happen. Can anybody relate to that? And we were praying through in this 2019, before we bridge into the next decade, when you've gone big, God, what are you saying now? When you've done everything you can do to obey that word, what are you saying now? And it was written like that on a board, and my son walked up and we were talking about Hooper and we were talking about more and we were talking about believing God and going back to our roots of, of trusting God for more. And, and, and he said, does nobody but me see this? Doesn't everybody see it? And we said, what do you see? And he got a red marker and he said, when you go big, we just believe God's bigger. Somebody say, God's bigger. God's bigger. So you say, Dwayne, What's the prophetic word for 2019? The prophetic word is take your eyes from this line and look above the line and God's bigger. I said God's bigger. I said God's bigger. I said God's bigger. He's bigger than what? Well, you can fill in the blank. He's bigger than anything. But let me give you a few things real quick and then I'm going to pray over you. Is that okay? First of all, I believe that God's bigger than your biggest failure. Maybe that's only good news for me. Maybe everybody else in here never failed. <laughs> but I failed big time. But can I tell you that God is bigger than your greatest failure? You say, but you don't know what I did, Dwayne. You don't know how bad it is. You don't know where I messed up. You don't know how big my failure was. Listen, the Bible is filled with big, fat failures. But when a big God gets a hold of your big, bad failure, he turns your failure into a success. God takes your mess and makes it a message. Somebody say, he's bigger. bigger. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's bigger than your failure. 
You know, the next thing he's bigger than, he's bigger than your biggest fear. I said he's bigger than your biggest fear. I've met some people that were pretty afraid. What, what's, uh, what would you do? What would you attempt for God if you weren't afraid? He's bigger than that. Gideon was so afraid, he was stomping grapes in a wine press. You don't stomp grapes in a wine press. You thresh wheat in a wine press. You stomp grapes in a grape press. He was the epitome of dysfunction. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time, scared. And God called him. Tonight you may have come in here deathly afraid of your own shadow. I've come to tell you God is bigger than that. And he's bigger than the greatest thing you're afraid of. You you know what else he's bigger than? He's bigger than what I thought he should have done. Huh? See, we we, we think we know what God should do. I ain't going to get no help up in here now. But let's be honest. I, how many times do I make plans, ask God to bless them, and then when he doesn't, I get upset because he didn't do what I thought he should have done? Or how many times does a situation come and I think I know how God ought to fix it? Do you know he's bigger than what you thought he should have done but didn't do? So, so in my past, that thing that I just knew he should have done for me, but he didn't do it and he didn't come through the way I thought he should have, I've come to prophesy to you tonight, he's bigger than that. Let me, let me tell you another thing he's bigger than. He's bigger than the last big thing he did for you. In other words, he's bigger than your biggest victory. Huh? See, see, we understand he's bigger than my biggest failure. At least we mentally ascend to it. (laughs) We don't really understand it, but we think we understand it. We understand that he's bigger than my biggest fear, kind of. But do you know that many times the enemy of what God wants to do next is what he did last? Because I get emotionally and sentimentally attached to what he did or how he did it. And so God is saying, I'm bigger. Mary, in John chapter 20, Mary comes to the tomb. She's crying. Doesn't recognize Jesus. Thinks he's a gardener. Jesus speaks to her and says, Mary, she grabs hold of him. And he says, woman, let go of me. Stop. Clinging to me. Watch this. Why was Mary clinging on to him? Because she wanted the Jesus back that had delivered her from all those demons. And she was mourning the loss of the, the last victory she had walked through with Jesus. And he said, Mary, If you'll let me go to the Father, 
I'm not only going to cast the devil out of you. I'm going to get inside of you so that you can go cast the devil out of other people. I'm bigger than the last miracle I did for you. And some of us that have been in this, in this room that have been Christians, we've been in the way for 30 years. We need to get out of the way and let God quit talking about the good old days. They weren't really that good anyway. We're lying. But even if they were, most of my wife and I's time are investing in these guys. The next generation. Everybody talks about. I'm so tired of people talking bad about millennials. Especially old preachers. <laughs> old preachers want to talk about. Well these millennials. Agents all their own. All their own social media. They need, don't do That's how they talk in Texas. I know you don't talk like that. <laughs> if I tried to do an, an English accent. It'd come out Australian. So I'll just do Texan. But, but, but they, they complain. I, 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 listen, I've got nothing but great things to say about millennials. They're our greatest workforce. They dare to believe God. They give. They're some of our biggest givers. These two girls sitting right up here, they're in the top ten givers in my church. And it's not because their parents are wealthy. They, are, they earn their own money. They both work night shifts at hospitals. You say, what are you saying, Dwayne? I'm saying this. That sometimes we're so enamored with what or how God did something that we're clinging to the past and Jesus is trying to say, behold, I do a new thing. Isaiah chapter 43, remember? He says, I, I, I made a, I'm the God who made a way in the sea. I parted the sea in the chariot and the horses fell into the sea. Remember that? I brought you out of Egypt. And he's telling them about it. And then, and then he gets to verse 6 and he says, uh, and now forget the former things. God, are you schizophrenic? You just told me to remember all that. Now you're saying forget about it. Do you want me to remember it or do you want me to forget about it? I'm confused. And he says, yes. Behold, I do a new thing. Shall you not know it? So what he's saying is, remember what I did. Forget how I did it. Because I'm the same God that did it back then. But I'm bigger than that. And I'm going to do it again. But I'm going to do it again bigger and better and different than the last time. Somebody say, God's bigger. He's bigger. I gotta keep going. Last thing. He's bigger than what I want him to do in my future. My favorite, my favorite, my favorite Hooper scripture, Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, Above all, we ask, think, or imagine, according to the power that works in us. You can, you can come on back up there. In Greek, this reads this way. Now, unto him who's able to do hooper, parisos, hooper, panta. Parisos is abundantly is full in measure. So it's like the best you could be, the smartest you, the most successful you. 
the, 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 come on, the best that you could possibly be. That'd be an improvement for most of us. But God doesn't just want a better version of you. He wants him to go beyond the best version of you. Hooper you. Hooper, Parisos, Hooper. Above all, all what? All we could ask, think, dream, or imagine. So everybody in this room, close your eyes for 60 seconds. Come on, just everybody close your eyes for just a minute. With your eyes closed, I want you to think of the wildest, craziest, most insane thing God could ever do. The most outrageous thing you could ever do in your life. Now look at me. He's bigger than that. I said he's bigger than that. Can you turn him down just a little bit for just a moment? I'm turning back up in just a second, but I want everybody to hear me. You see, Dwayne, what are you saying? I'm saying God's bigger. You boil all this down and it comes down to this. God's bigger than the best or the worst life has to offer. Uh, I'm going to come over here. They didn't get that. God is bigger than the best or the worst life has to offer. We have a gal in our church, a black lady. She was 37 years old a few years ago. When she was 33 years old, mother of four or five, mother of five, two natural children, three stepchildren. Her youngest daughter was born, and a few. When her daughter was born, she was in a. She went into a coma. They didn't know what the problem was. She had a severe lung disease, spread to both of her lungs, and they gave her no hope. They said you have to have a double lung transplant. They had her at the top of the list for a year or so, and finally it got to the point she was on such oxygen she could not walk up these stairs. We would have had to have carried her. She had an oxygen tank everywhere she went. She was in UT Southwestern Hospital in Dallas, Texas. And her husband, who at the time was 40, she was 37, he was 43, called me and said, I want to renew our vows because they've only given my wife a few days to live. They're going to intubate her tomorrow. When they intubate her, she has 72 hours. They've taken her off of the donor list. She has no hope in the natural. They said, we will not even give you a set of lungs if they come in in Dallas. You'll have to go somewhere else. Where do you go? So I did. I renewed their vows and and walked out of that hospital room. And I thought, it's over. I walked down that hall and I prayed. I prayed in tongues. I spoke my faith. But boy, my unbelief was running crazy. 
Two nights late, two days later, they intubated her. Clock starts, 72 hours. That night, her husband at midnight, at 11 o'clock, he was laying in bed on his computer searching for something, and, and he was just crying and saying, God, it's over. What do I do? And God spoke to him and said, why have you given up? She's still alive. And he said, what do I do? He said, do everything I tell you to. He said, I have been. He said, I know. Do it again. So he starts Googling the best lung transplant doctor in the nation. He was in Baltimore, Maryland, 1,500 miles away. Be somewhere from here to Eastern Europe, far Eastern Europe. He he emails them at midnight, Texas time, 1 a.m., their time. A secretary happens to be at work at 1 a.m. in the morning because they were having a midnight board meeting with the doctors. She risks her job, busts into the room, and says, Doctor, whatever his name is, here is a letter from this woman. Would you read it? He reads it and says, if they can get her here and, and lungs show up within 72 hours, I'll do the surgery. Insurance would not pay to life flight her by helicopter that far. It was a half a million dollar flight because of her critical condition. Somehow, miraculously, it gets approved. Somehow. They fly her by helicopter to Baltimore, Maryland. She lands with now 24 hours. No lungs. I'm telling you guys, nobody was supposed to do this. It was not supposed to happen. Our our medical system doesn't work like that. Insurance doesn't approve that stuff. It doesn't happen. She lands... And they say, we've got a set of lungs that may be a match. Sign for your admittance papers. And over here, while you're at it, sign for these lungs. 100% match. The odds were one in about 10 million. They bring her into surgery with less than 12 hours left. And she gets her new lungs. And she's going to Israel with me. She'll land Sunday morning. God is bigger. Now listen to this. Fast forward two years. Last September. Two years to the month. She's living life. Her kids have their mother back. 37 years old. She goes to a concert with her friend, spends the night in a hotel. She's just, I mean, she's having a ball. Faithful in church, loves God, telling her testimony everywhere she can, starts writing a book. She gets a call at 8.30 in the morning. Her 10-year-old daughter said, Daddy didn't wake up. She said, he's playing, shaking. Shook him, nothing. She put the phone on speaker. She screamed at him, Robert, get up. He had a Widowmaker heart attack. 45 years old in the middle of the night. I rushed to to their house. Got there shortly after she did. And I wish I could tell you I raised him from the dead. But I didn't. 
And she said, Pastor Dwayne, why? Why would God spare my life and let my husband die? And as a pastor, when you're sitting with somebody, Jonas, and you're holding their hand, you don't have an answer. And, and I said, Leah, I don't know. But I know that we still win. And I know that God is bigger. And I've come to tell you that he was bigger than her best day. But he was bigger than her worst day. And she wrote that book. And she put the good, the bad, and the ugly. And she told that story. And her book is actually coming out in a month. I don't know if it will be available in the UK or not. But if it is, you ought to get it. It's called I Still Went. And you say, what are you saying, Dwayne? I'm trying to say that we've got to learn to look above the line. See, because we shout about the victories below the line, but when it seems like we didn't get the victory we wanted, we want to cry and run and hide and retreat, but God is looking for something. Listen, we had 750 people come to his funeral. I preached the paint off the walls. And I've had people stop me. I've, we've had emails. We had, we had a lesbian couple that watched it on television. And they started coming to our church because they said, if God can work in Leah's life the way he's working in her life, we've watched the whole thing. There must be a God. Then... My, my father-in-law, my wife's dad, one of my best friends in the world, dies of stage four cancer in November. December, my, my dog gets cancer and dies. I mean, it seems like everybody's dying. We get to January. We're about to come into our conference for our networking, and we have a miracle. I mean, I tell my, I, can't, I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but I tell my staff and they're running around the building waving their hankies, acting like Pentecostal millennials. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, they're going crazy. It was a bona fide miracle. 30 minutes later, my sister calls me. Sister Wayne, my daughter, her daughter, my niece, 28 years old, nine months pregnant, one week from her due date. Placenta detaches. They run her to the hospital. No heartbeat. Do an emergency surgery. And the baby's stillborn. I get there 45 minutes later. And I watch something I've never seen in a 28-year-old. She didn't know the word that God had given us for 2019, that God's bigger. She didn't know. I hadn't told anybody yet other than our team. I hadn't preached it yet. I walk in that hospital room, Phil, and she's holding her dead baby. Six pounds, 15 ounces, perfect, beautiful baby girl, lifeless. And she starts singing, his praise shall ever be on my lips. Ever be on my lips. Then she starts praying. And she says. Jesus. Thank you for the privilege. Of carrying this baby in my womb for nine months. 
although I will never see her alive, because we tried to raise her from the dead, and she didn't come back. She said, although I'll never see her alive on this side of eternity, I know that I'll see her again when I get to heaven. And she was never mine. She was always yours. And so, Jesus, I bind and rebuke any bitter thoughts that could come into my mind. 28 years old, Jonas. They could come into my mind, my husband's mind, or any family member. And we commit Emmeline to you. And we believe she has a destiny beyond this life. And she prayed in tongues for about 20 minutes and worshiped Jesus. That's a bigger miracle than that baby being raised from the Stop me in my tracks. Then, that song we sang, Raise a Hallelujah, I asked him to sing that. We're going to sing it again in a minute. But let me tell you the backdrop. She has emergency C-section, supposed to be in the hospital seven days. I believe because she released all that bitterness, prayed and worshipped Jesus, they let her out in 24 hours, said you're perfectly fine. They said if you had gotten here 30 minutes later, you'd never be able to have another child, but your womb is perfectly intact, and we believe you can have as many children as you want. She leaves the hospital, and on Monday, this was Friday, on Monday, she's leading worship, sitting in a chair, And one of the songs that we worshiped to was Raise the Hallelujah. She had people that came to that memorial, to that funeral, that weren't Christian. She had nurses that saw how she responded that drove an hour and a half just to come sit in that service. And they said, we've never seen anybody respond like this. You have a faith in God we have never seen. You say, what are you saying? Dwayne, I'm saying this. She quit looking. She wasn't looking below the line. She lifted her eyes up above the line. And, 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 and after the memorial, after the funeral, she came and gave me a big hug. And I said, Tab, you're my hero. Her name's Tabitha. I call her Tab. I said, Tab, you're my hero. She said, no, Uncle Dwayne. I'm just living the Christianity you taught me to live. She said, isn't this supposed to be normal? She said, why does everybody think I'm so special? I'm just being a Christian. And either we believe this stuff or we don't. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.